Conversations start wars and end wars, right? Revolutions are begun around conversations. Yes, there's action, of course. That's the way we execute a revolution. But a revolution starts with a conversation. People being convicted that this conversation is really important and we need to lean into that a little bit. And, and we know Jesus had a ton of conversations. Some of the conversations that Jesus had were with large groups like this. Some conversations that he had were with one person or two people. And so we're going to talk about a conversation um, a story, actually, that, that began in the midst of a conversation that Jesus was having with a big group of people, and it's the parable of the lost sheep. And this is not something new to you. You know this story. But you also know that this story actually happened in the midst of other stories, so the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then, of course, the parable, parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, we sometimes call that story as well. It's a short story. We're going to lean right into it. And there's some real implications. But the question you have to ask yourself today when you re-look um, re at this story, if you will, reinvestigate this story, is how would the Pharisees have heard it? These are traditionally heard as sinners repenting and God graciously offering them forgiveness. And the reason why we think that is because Luke, in his story, in the Luke in the Gospel, he gives us the allegory at the end. So he ties it all up in a little knot at the end. But that is not exactly what Jesus was doing. So we have to think about how it was happening in the Pharisees' head as they were being told. The Pharisees being kind of the ruling class, the, um, the, the religious leaders and the political leaders as well. But it's an interesting story because it's a story about sheep. And I've often wondered, do sheep really seek eschatological salvation? Right? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Sheep are not the brightest animals on the planet. They eat, they sleep, they poop a lot, they produce wool, and they give milk. But they don't do much else. That's about all they do. Now, some of you, you know, if you're familiar with livestock, you may argue with me and be like, no, they're very bright. Um, okay, that's fine. I'm familiar with livestock. We have a chicken. <laughs> we do. We have just one. Um, the other one got killed by a raccoon, and they look the same, so we don't know which chicken it is. So, so we just call her the chicken. Um, and this morning, my son sent me a, a picture on text of the chicken standing outside our kitchen window standing on a machete, not sure where she got it, um, just staring in. And my wife texted and she said, I feel like we're being stalked by our chicken. So maybe I'm underestimating the value of livestock and how they actually think. However, um, they're not the brightest things on the planet. The sheep in this situation are not looking to be saved. But let's go through the story. I'll read it first and then I'll jump back to it and we'll go through it line by line just to remind you. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, well, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, let's take a deeper look at this story. Um, it begins in the midst of a conversation. And in the midst of a conversation, Jesus tells them a story. So Jesus told them the story. These are big stories, big conversations um, that, we, that we've heard. 
So what do we assume that these stories are about? What are the assumptions that we take into this text? There's a few. First of all, we think it's about sinners repenting. But are they? At least is this one? Are they about those turning and coming home, particularly in this text? Not really. Sheep don't know when they've been lost. The second assumption that we take into is that 100 sheep is not a big deal. Um, have you ever been around 100 sheep? You'd know because they'd smell like 100 sheep. So I'm at my cousin's house. Um, we're having a barbecue. He's married to a Jamaican woman, so we're making some jerk chicken and this kind of stuff. Really great. They've got goats, much like sheep. They've got goats. Goat walks up to where we are. There's a fence, but it's right there. I'm cooking up some meat. Goat walks by, urinates on its face to mark its territory. Its face is its territory. You would know if you were around 100 sheep. We think that 100 sheep's not a lot of sheep. 100 sheep's a lot of sheep. By the way, um, I was a lifeguard in college at La Sierra University's pool, and we couldn't handle 100 kids in the pool, so we would actually cordon off the pool to make sure that we could handle 100 because you've got to be counting constantly to make sure that you don't lose anybody in the pool. Being a shepherd's not that much different. But the third assumption that we take into this story is that the Pharisees and the people sitting there would have heard it in the same way that you heard the story. But remember, Luke makes the allegory at the end. So they would have heard it very differently. So how does the story go? I'll read it again. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. And by the way, the better word for lost is deceived from the, Hebrew, from the Greek. It's a better word to say they were deceived and that's why he went away. Lots of scholarship around this. Do, listen, did people like shepherds? Um, about the third century, we got this influx of information that people didn't really like shepherds. But that wasn't actually true in the first century. In the first First century, shepherds were respected, but they weren't necessarily elevated. They were kind of like a thing that you need, and it's a, it's a very valid vocation to go into, but it wasn't necessarily, I mean, they weren't seen as, you know, a priest or something like that. I kind of liken it to plumbers today. Like plumbers, we like plumbers. We think they're great. We don't hold them in high regard until something happens, and then we desperately need plumbers. Um, but that, I would put them on the, about that level, which is really, it's a very well-respected um, thing. For some reason, in about 300 AD, it began, the scholarship began to say, oh, nobody liked, nobody liked shepherds. That's not really true. Um, so it says, if man, right, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Hey, did you guys grow up with, um, with uh, any particular books that when they showed you this story, all the sheep were in a pen and then the shepherd went to go get the other sheep? That's not what it says. It literally says that he left them in the wilderness, Right? He left them unprotected in the wilderness to go. That's interesting. That's interesting. If, everything, if every single thing is an allegory, we've got to delve into that a little bit. We won't, but that's an interesting point that I always forget when I read this story. But what's important here right now is that before a search for someone begins, we have to notice what or who is not there. And oftentimes it's hard to notice who and what is not there, especially as your numbers get higher. When I started at this church, our first week we had like 85, 100 people. You could get to know those people really easily. It was no big deal. Now we have about 16 to 1,800 people coming every single week. I don't know all of you very well. And so it makes for that awkward meeting in the grocery store because you feel like you know me because you see me every week. And I've maybe not ever really seen you except as a shape in the darkness. 
<laughs> Sounds all foreboding, a shape in the darkness. Um, so you're going to come up to me like, hey, Pastor Tim, and this is what you're going to get from me. Hey, brother, because I don't know your name. So when you do that, introduce yourself to me, because I may not have met you before. And if I have, and I've forgotten, I deeply, I deeply regret it. But um, there's something about the shepherd. He was a good owner of sheep because he knew when one was lost. But then the story goes like this. It says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Have you tried to pick up a sheep? For fun. Next time you're with your animals, your cat or your dog, or you happen to be at somebody else's house, maybe ask permission first, grab a hold of that animal by the legs and flip it over your neck. <laughs> See if they like that. Because the, the picture we have of the story is like, oh, he's like, oh, there's a sheep. Hey, thanks. And just like, first of all, sheep are kind of heavy, right? Pick it up, put it over your shoulders. They don't like that necessarily. And also, I want you to remember something. The sheep didn't repent and go home. The sheep didn't look at the shepherd and go, oh, thank God you're here. The sheep's just a sheep being a sheep, right? He went and got the sheep because the sheep had been deceived and had gone away. Then, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Let's have a barbecue. <laughs> they probably would have eaten mutton, which is sheep. And by the way, this seems a little extravagant, right? You kind of drop the ball, man. And now you go pick it up and you're, okay, obviously the story is trying to tell us something, right? And again, it says it here in Luke 15, verse 7, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's Luke is beginning to make this allegory. He's using this narrative and his voice to help us understand. However, what it would have meant to the Pharisees is not much different than what it means to us. But it is pointed for them. It means that people matter. And listen, they were, they were leading a religion that was a national religion. So they were leading a vast amount of people from the temple and from Jerusalem. They probably didn't know a lot of these people. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you need to pay attention because sometimes people leave and they matter too. You see, the shepherd would not rest until his flock was complete. How can we leave those who have left without being chasers of people? We all know somebody right now. We all know somebody who has decided church isn't for them anymore. God is not for them anymore. Somebody who says, listen, this is not for me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. You know what I hear more than anything when people come back and they come to church at Crosswalk? They go, man, this was not the church that I left. And that's a fair question. Are we bringing people back to the same church that they left? Like, I believe we have the opportunity to build something a little bit different, perhaps. A little bit, not better, just different, right? There's a lot of people who don't like what happens here, but, but I believe we've been able to do that. Now, we're certainly not finished with that journey. We're certainly not finished with that responsibility. But if we're bringing people back to the same kind of social situation that we've had before, this is bad. So let's ask the question, why do you think people leave? I think the first reason they leave is because they were hurt. Something happened at church 
where people were pain, and I see you guys shaking your heads yes. So either you've been hurt or you know somebody who's been hurt in church. Am I right? Let me give you a story. It happens here too. Let me give you a story. Um, a couple was married. I was blessed to do their marriage. And they went on their honeymoon. They came back maybe 10 days later, and they decided to come to church. He has grown up as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. She has not. Um, they're, they're kind of sitting towards the back, not in the last row, but towards the back. And uh, the music's playing, and it's beautiful. The experience here is so phenomenal. It's so blessed every week. And they are blessed, and, and they're in love. And so he leans over, and he kisses her. Right? Now, I don't know, I don't, like, I don't know what kind. But they just got married, so they like each other still. Um, so music is over. They sit down. She realizes she's sitting on something. So she reaches underneath herself, pulls out a little piece of paper, opens it up, and it says on it, you are ruining my worship experience. Please don't be so affectionate in church or something along those lines. That's not verbatim. Um, yeah. So, so they came to me after church and said, hey, we just want you to know, like, this happened. And of course, I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know. So it happens here. We're not perfect by any means. Um, but that's the reason why people leave. Now, thank God, they still come sometimes. But I wonder if their experience had been different if they would come more and they'd be more connected and more, I don't know. But that's one of the reasons why people leave, because they were hurt somehow. Maybe it's something that I've said from the pulpit. If I ever hurt you from the pulpit or you know of someone that I've hurt from the pulpit, I can guarantee you that was not my intention, but it may have happened, and I would deeply apologize for that and would love to repair that if I can. Um, because I know I get a little snarky sometimes. I get a little sarcastic, and sometimes I think something's funny that may offend. So that's never been the, the initial meaning. I've never meant to offend, but I may have. And you guys may have hurt each other for whatever reason. So we need to be careful. We need to be sensitive. That's a big reason why people leave. Another reason why people leave is because they feel judged. Whether they were or not, they often feel judged. And, and that can be really simple, you know? That can be a, a you know, a once-over of somebody. and That little thing, especially if somebody's been hurt before in a greater context of the Seventh-day Adventist church or of Christianity, and they've been to a place where they have been deeply judged, they come ready to be judged, and it's really easy for them to feel like they have. That doesn't necessarily mean they have, but we have to be ultra sensitive because that's important. They could have been kicked out of a church somewhere before because of an orientation or because of the kind of music they liked or because of, of something that, that, that we don't know anything about. But the way they walk in, man, we got to think about that. Really, it's really important. Because even if they weren't judged, if they feel judged, they were judged. And we have to walk them through that process. And I get it. How, you know, this begs another question, right? Because this is what people will say to me after preaching something like that. They'll come up and they say, listen, how do we remain strong in our faith? But you want us to be inclusive. But like, we can't just let any, anybody in here, right? Because we've got to protect. I, I think we need to be careful about who we're protecting and what we're protecting, you know? Because... Because God's church is a church for everyone. Jesus came and died for everyone. And so we need to be careful. And you've heard me say this before. We seek to be a community of belonging. But I think people are, you know, they're hurt and they're judged. And also I think there's some people who like philosophically and theologically, if you will, are deconverted. They deconvert out of faith. Right? Because they can't, they can't 
structure their heads around the idea of suffering or relevancy or the exclusiveness that sometimes people of faith show to other people and they can't believe God would be exclusive like these people are exclusive, therefore there must be no God. That's a pretty quick journey. And it's easy to go, oh yeah, well that's just their problem. No. This parable says it's our problem. This parable said we're to be the chasers. This parable says differently. People matter. Deconversion might be the most painful of all of these. If you think that somebody goes, oh, I don't believe in that anymore, and that wasn't a painful experience, you're absolutely wrong. Deconversion is an incredibly painful process of everything that you believe in, you begin to find untrue, and you have to redefine yourself and redefine the world and what reality is. It is incredibly painful. We have to care for people who have gone through that process. Sometimes hurt and judgment leads to deconversion. And man, then we're responsible. Then we got to be careful. So in the end, what did Jesus want them to understand in this parable? It's simply that people matter. Even those that have left, whether it's they left through deception or through willful leaving or through distraction, our job is not to figure out why they left. Our job is to go and find them. So what do we do? We go and we leave the 99 and we seek those who have left with grace, with love, with conversation, with deep hope that they might see Jesus in you. I mean, you know, we're, we're planning these churches and, and I think sometimes people think like we just want to plant churches because we want more work. Trust me, we don't. It is a lot of work to do this. It's a lot of work to put a church down in San Dimas with people that we don't know. But we believe God has given us an opportunity to build a little bit of a different church than the church that people left. And we want to reclaim those people for Christ. In Chattanooga, 23,000 people, they say, used to be in church just from the Seventh-day Adventist world and are no longer in church. We need a place where they can come back to a different kind of church. In L.A., can you imagine what that number is in L.A.? Chattanooga is hard to find on the map. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> L.A., can you imagine how many people used to be in church and aren't there anymore? Of course we're going to put a church down there because that's where people have run away to. We're going to chase them there. Of course we're going to do that. And we have to do that, each one of us. If we're to be biblical Christians and follow what Jesus teaches about how people matter. So here's the question, what will you do? And so I'm going to challenge you today, and you know that I do this, right? But this one's a little bit different. Every once in a while I'll challenge you, find somebody, bring them to church. I'm actually going to challenge you differently today. Because I want you to find that person that has left faith, that person who has left church experience. But I don't want you to invite them to church it's a long journey before we get to that point. What I want you to do is I want you to invite them to your home. I want you to invite them to a cup of coffee. If they're most comfortable in a bar, go be with them there. And I don't want you to bring up God. I don't want you to go, hey, I've got this church. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit will tell you either you when to do it or will tell them when to ask. And by the way, when you hold off on that conversation, when you don't coerce, when you don't get aggressive with it, you're going to be blown away by how the Holy Spirit has already prepared their heart before you even sit down with them. And listen, it may be a year that you have to be friends with these people. Or 
maybe five years that you'll have to be friends with someone who's left. Or maybe 10 years, or maybe the rest of your life. Oh, because that's what chasing someone down really is. That's what it is. And listen, it's, it's not about bringing them into this church. It's about connecting them again with Jesus Christ. If they never set foot in this church, you haven't failed. If they know the name of Jesus and they love Jesus by the end of your conversation, man, you were just the conduit to which God was able to touch them. Do, do we want them to come back to church? Uh, let's not be ashamed about that, sure. But I don't want you to invite them until the time is right and they're ready. You bring somebody back to church before they're ready, it just does damage even the best of churches. So this challenge is a little bit different. I'm challenging you to be a chaser today. I'm challenging you to be the one who goes and lives in their context. You don't just bring them back to our context. I want you to, I want you to commit like you've never committed before to a real deep relationship and to crucial conversations with someone where God may or may not come up, but when he does, it will be exactly at the right time because it will be the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you feel like you're pushing too much, you're pushing way too much. You see, because I believe this. I, I've heard people say like, listen, if, if you don't do it, God can't reach these people. First of all, that's not true. But if you're available, God will use you. And there is nothing more powerful than just hanging out with somebody with no alternative motive other than, you know, to, to show them love, to show them grace, to show them compassion. And after you've been hanging out for a few months, you're out somewhere doing something, they look at you and go, you know, that church that you go to, what's that all about? Oh, well, you know, this is where we find this, do this, that sort of thing. They go, yeah, I used to go to church. Ah, it doesn't really mean anything to me before. And you go, oh, this one's a little different. We'd love to have you. And when that conversation comes from them, this is the beauty of it. You are then watching the Holy Spirit work, not in your life, but in theirs. It's not from your conversation, it is theirs. And when that happens, you know the question is crucial to them. The conversation is crucial in a way that you can't force it. Listen, we, we don't want to force anyone to be in church. We don't want to force anyone to believe. It doesn't work that way anyway. We know that. What we do is we create the spaces and we create the places where it's easy to come and meet Jesus. But what you do, what you do is listen to the Holy Spirit. Say the right words at the right time, even when you don't have any. Because listen, I can't tell you how many times in my life and in my career as a minister, I've said, Lord, I'm going to start talking right now and I don't know what to say, but I'm just going to start. I'm going to need some guidance here. I've said some stupid things, but I've also said just the right things, not because I'm brilliant, not because I'm, you know, got perfect timing because I know what to say, but because I'm at times willing to open up my heart to what the Holy Spirit needs me to do at the time. If you can do that, I mean, think about it. Think about it if, if just a tenth of the people who left were chased, not chased, not harangued, but chased and found in a conversation of love and grace and mercy and compassion and justice was had with them. 
do I believe that the end result is that they find a community to belong to? Of course, because once you meet Jesus, you know you don't want to do that alone. But what would happen? What would the numbers of these faith communities be? How would we swell the kingdom of God? And listen, again, if they don't ever come to church, that's it's okay. It's not about getting them to church. It's about getting them to know Christ, their Savior. And it's about filling the halls of heaven with those who have walked away for whatever reason. That sheep was not repentant, but they still had a party when they got home. We must be chasers. Chasers of those who have left. Chasers of those who, who have deconverted. Chasers of those who just can't find a church where it's not, they're not being hurt and they're not being judged. And listen, we'll make tons of mistakes on the way. But if we suffer with one another, if we grow together, we can grow the kingdom of God through those people who just need to be found again. Let's find them. That's our responsibility. If we're going to be people who follow Jesus, then we have to be those shepherds that chase. If not, God will find somebody else but I want him to use me. I want to be the one that God uses as a powerful tool for his kingdom. And I know you want that too. So man, that's what our challenge is today. Be chasers. Chasers of those who have left. Be relentless. Don't be, don't be offensive. Don't be coercive. Be relentlessly loving. And let's see what the Holy Spirit can do. Because I believe God is building his kingdom. And I believe that there is a revival happening. And it's not happening through me. It's happening through us. So let's let God work. It'll be incredible. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, may we be the chasers that you need. May we be shepherds when you call on us to be that. And Lord, may we be the right kind of sheep when we need to be that as well. And Lord, some of us, we're lost. We sit in these pews, but we're lost. Find us too. Or find somebody who can find us in this congregation, in our lives. Just because we sit in these halls doesn't mean we know who you are. So show yourself through other people, through worship, through the word, through the community. And again, Lord, make us chasers so that no one's left out of your kingdom whether it be through deceit or hurt or judgment, whether it be through deconversion, Lord, put us in those places at the right time with the right words. They'll always be your words and they'll always be your time. We accept that. And we are excited to live the life that you've caused us to have. We ask these things in your name, Lord. You're precious, you're powerful. The passionate name of Jesus, who is the relentless chaser of every sheep, that has gone astray. In your name I pray, amen.